As you're finding your places, I would encourage you to take your Bibles out and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22, we're going to look together at verses 1 through 5. A good uh, passage to read in this section of 1 Samuel uh, would be Psalm 18. I'll reference Psalm 18, but when you go home and you have an opportunity to, to look at another place of Scripture, Psalm 18 is around the time that David he composes this as he's running away from Saul and fleeing from that, that moment in his life. So that's the context here, is David is on the run from Saul. And so let's see what happens in this moment of Scripture. 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 through 5. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab. And they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. As far the reading of God's holy and inspired word, shall we pray? Great and merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word and see this moment in the life of your servant David. We pray now for the blessing of the preaching of your word, that it may not fall on deaf ears. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as I said before reading the scriptures, David is on the run from Saul who is seeking to take uh, the life of what we could understand probably to be a, a, a political rival uh, as David, Saul doesn't know this it seems like, but David has also been anointed king, so we have two anointed ones, we've got Saul and we have David. We need to recognize also up to this point that Saul has failed as king and we see it specifically in his seeking to kill David, the anointed one of God. David has run to his, fa- his family. David has run to his friends. David has run to the prophet and to a priest. David ran even into the enemy's city, the Philistines. And in chapter 21, you see that he escapes there with his wife, but he had to pretend to be a madman in order to escape Goth of the Philistines. There's more that happens, especially as we look into these five verses of our passage. Some very key and important moments in the life of David take place just with these five verses. The main point of this historical account is 
David continues to flee from Saul, we find the flock, his flock, increase by those who need God's anointed for help. David the shepherd, his flock increases by those who need the anointed one of God. And so as we look at this, we first see that there are some who are in distress. David himself is one of those in distress. And look at where they turn for help in verses 1 and 2. In verses 3 and 4, we find David in Moab. And in verse 5, we see that David is in God's care as the prophet speaks to him. Consider, first of all, this language of in my distress. And as I pointed out, Psalm 18 is a key psalm to understand this life, this time period for David. In fact, David would say in verse 6, In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. We're given the historical context for those words here in this moment of First Samuel as he flees from Saul. Look again at verse 1 of First Samuel 22. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. See, the verse says that David escaped. And this reveals to us that David was indeed in danger while he was in Goth. It would not have used the word escaped if he wasn't. You escape from danger. He didn't just walk away. He didn't just, you know, that was a good visit. No, he escaped. Remember, David had to play that madman and been found out. He thought he could just hide. Well, they wouldn't recognize him. This is back in the days when they didn't have driver's license. And, you know, billboards with the top 100. And, you know, there's David's with his, you know, Psalm 23 is the number one hit right now in Israel. Or that one song that all the ladies are singing, you know, Saul's killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And there's the picture of David. No, this is before any of that. But yet they still recognized him. And he's caught. And he finds himself before the king of Goth and he has to act like a madman in order to get out of the city. He escaped and went where? To the cave of Adam. And as a shepherd, David knew where these hiding places were as he would take his sheep out in the wilderness. He knew where these places were. He's living with the experience that he's grown with. And so here he is, hiding in the wilderness. And notice, notice what the verse says. This is, again, this is before, you know, DM and messaging and you know all this other kinds of stuff, somehow his family finds out. David's been by himself this entire time, and somehow his family finds out and they go down there with him. Well, two things. Two things with that, with that just that little bit. First, impossible for me to figure it out. I can't figure out where any of my kids are and they're in they're in my own house. This is now several countries. He, he, made it to, he made it into the Philistine land, and now he's back. Somehow, first of all, they found out. And it's possible that others found out too. 
in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. If his family found out, and they do not have the resources of a king, it's possible. Others could find out. And secondly, notice now David's family is safe. But they're also now in danger too. So they're safe because they're with David. They could be together as a family. If you, if, you, if you can do that, do it. But notice, David's on the run. So while it's safe to be together as a family, now there's a lot more of them that's a bigger target. And so they're in danger still. And so notice, David, David takes action. He's not the oldest. But yet, he's in charge. And he takes action to take care of his family. This is, this is what we read then in verse 2. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. The congregation, did, did, you, did you catch this very important reality here with verse 2? And the people of God those who are in distress, look at where they turn. Look at where they ran. Look at where they flee. They flee to God's anointed for their safety. Look at who they went. They, they went to God's anointed for safety, security, and for salvation. They went to David. You see this list again, and I'm going to change the third one so that it's now 3D. It's just, it, you know, maybe it works better. The New King James has it that way. Maybe it works better with 3Ds. But you've got distress, debt, and discontented. Instead of it says bitter here, it's, that works. Bitter in soul. Let's go with dis, discontented. The 3Ds. They came to David. They came to him. God's anointed for help. The distress here deals with their very, their very life. That's where David finds himself. He's in distress, Psalm 18. Saul's become a tyrant. And it's not just David that's now in need of safety, security, salvation. We know what debt. Debt refers to their economic instability. Today's debt, debt becomes a part of our culture most well, most of us need to we, we consider what our debt score is and what you know and what and that what does that say? Well, we pay our bills on time. That's whoa, good good for us. Wow, we we're doing great. But in this time, it meant more. It meant you were a slave. You were a servant. It had a lot more in mind than just can you pay your bills. This is the reason why the Bible actually does have a debt relief. <laughs> Agenda, and it's called the year of Sabbath, the sabbatical year, and the year of Jubilee, where those that were in debt way over their head, it was forgiven. And one of the reasons the exile happened is because Israel never practiced that. Get that, Jews never, I mean, never mind. But they never practiced that. Not once did they practice the sabbatical year, which also meant not once did they practice the year of Jubilee. And Jeremiah and Daniel both added up and they go, whoa, whoa. For the amount of time they were in the land, there were 70 opportunities to practice that. 
And that's how long they're in exile. For 70 years. God will get His rest from His people. That's what happened. The Bible also had a message for those that were discontented. Uh, you know, ESB, bitter, bitter in soul. These are the ones that are not happy with what's going on around. Maybe they're not the ones that are in distress. This group could probably be the soldiers that come around David because Saul's now leading a crazy life. They're not happy with the status quo that Saul has as king and they know there's something better to come. They want more. They know they're meant for more. And so we can see what David provided them. Verse 2 says he became their leader, their captain, their chief. David provided comfort to the distressed. Why was David able to do this? He was able because God is David's comfort. It's what Jesus would say to the merciful You'll receive mercy to those who are forgiven. You're going to forgive. To those that have received comfort from the Lord, you're not going to turn around and then beat somebody over the head with in an ungracious way. Now, when you truly understand grace, when you understand forgiveness, that's what you're going to provide. Seventy times seven is the charge Jesus gives us. And David knows that. And David, for the rest of his life, will continue to experience that. So David provided relief for those in distress, in debt, and discontented. And notice what it says as he's the captain, as he's the chief over these people. It says there were 400 men who came to David at this time. The men that I'm calling David's married men. And yes, they're going to hide out in the forest for a while. <laughs> Maybe some of them even with sticks. With all of this said, we're able to see what David does next as a leader. Now that he has a troop with him, the one place it's not safe for his mother to be is probably right here. And so look at what he does. Look at where he goes. He moves them like another Bethlehemite. He moves his family to Moab. This takes us then to verses 3 and 4. Look at verse 3. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. You see, David goes to a land actually of his ancestor, Ruth. He goes to Moab to find safety and security for his parents, his father and his mother. And the reality is clear. David is not safe to be around. There's a target on his back. <clears throat> those who desire David's life, well, just like those that want to be with David, those that want to kill David, they have the same resources to find David. And so David's it's not safe. He's in hiding. He's in hiding for a reason. So David leaves the promised land again. And this time he goes to Moab and seeks safety for his family. David 
enters the king of Moab's presence and requests their shelter and sanctuary for his family. See, David has not uh, caused Moab any harm. The song is not about David slaying the Moabites, but the Philistines. But the reality of harm is still present even in this verse. Saul is still on the hunt. There is a bounty on David's life. So this agreement between David and this king is a political alliance. Let's understand very clearly if this guy did not want to take care of David's family, all he had to do was just arrest David and send a message to Saul. Hop, skip, and a jump over the Jordan River. And there they are. Saul has them. Recognize God's hand in this. God's now protecting Jesse. This is not what the king of Moab does. He enters into this alliance. David's request he receives and his family is now safe in this part of their ancestral home. The home of Ruth. The Moabites. But look again at what verse 4 says. And he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Two couple things to consider with verse 4. First, David made sure his family was safe. What a good son. What a good son. He made sure they were taken care of. We must see that David did not bring them before the king until he had the assurance, life insurance in a way, that they were going to be provided for. Then secondly, we must understand what it means that David was in the stronghold. This is a, 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 a really, actually, it's an important word. You see it again in Psalm 18. The word that is used to describe a fortress, a fortress, actually becomes the name of a physical fortress, an actual place in the south of Israel, of Judah, in the wilderness that David is is running around in. It's It's in a place in the area that they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. In fact, some of the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in a place that has this name, Stronghold. Herod built it up. And Herod was this creative man, and so he named this stronghold, Stronghold. It's great. He did such a good job. It's like, you know, it does. It does. It's like a boxer naming all of his kids George. You know, which is just smart. When you're a boxer, you've got... You know, you're already getting a lot of things knocked out of your head, and so, you know, if you can remember one name, it's going to be your own. So as long as he says his own name, he's got all of his kids coming to him. Right? That's very smart. But Herod fled, and he built this stronghold. It's called Masada. Masada. That's the name, and that's the word here. So David flees, and I've always wondered if David went to that exact mountain. Because when you, when you look at it, aside from 
what Rome did in order to break into it when the zealots escaped to Jerusalem in AD 70. They fled to Masada and they, they were able, when archaeologists found the location, they found the pools that Herod had built. They found the places that the zealots had, had died and they also found Herod's storehouses and they popped it open. There were still fresh dates in the jars that they could eat. Herod was a very, uh, well, he, he was one of those, uh, he was a prepper. That's what he was. He was a prepper. You know, he had fortresses that went from Caesarea Philippi up north, straight line south. He didn't like where this one mountain was, so he, he moved it so that it was a straight line. It's called the Herodian. He made that one, and then he had his temple in Jerusalem, and then he had his place in Masada, and then right down to Idumea, which is where he's from, straight line. If he had to go west, he created a city out on the ocean called Caesarea Maritima, and uh, some of the some of the uh, crusaders found it, and they used it even in their work too. So he had a place to head out west, he had a place to head down south, but nobody ever flees to the north. I don't know why, but he did not flee to the north. It just it just doesn't work that way, no matter where you are. But he went south. And Masada was on that map. And I've always wondered, is this what David is referring to when he says, Psalm 18, verse 1, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It's that word. David is writing this as he's on the run from Saul, running around, and he, he takes up residence here at some place in the south, maybe this place, the stronghold. And he calls God, my stronghold, my fortress, my Masada, God. We need to get this. As David is interpreting this moment in his life through Psalm 18, David says, God, you are my dwelling place. God, you are my ADT. God, you are the gate on my, on, on, on my backyard. You are the locks on my door. God, you are the one that protects me. You are my fortress. And then we see verse 5. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Let's consider this verse together. First of all, let's consider the fact that there's a prophet among David's merry men, like Friar Tuck, just probably without the mead or the bald spot. But here he is. He's got a prophet with him. Look at that. The prophet Gad said to David. Up to this point, there's not been a prophet with David. He's been on his own. All by himself. If it had to have been lonely, like a shepherd leading a flock all by himself. Samuel, yes, yeah, Samuel helped David. But there, there becomes a moment, a, a distance between these two where Samuel's now somewhere, and David is fleeing. So to hear that a prophet is with David is, is a great comfort. And we must understand Gad is one of the two prophets, mainly two prophets in the, in the life and the ministry of David as king. 
that will surround him and, and will speak directly to David who have that authority to do that. And Gad is, is one of them. Gad is the one that not only gives him this message here, uh, this stronghold's not that safe. They know where you are. It's time to move. It's time to go. But he's also the one, if you go towards the end of 2 Samuel in chapter 24, when David has done the, you know, he's, he has sinned before the Lord, God sends Gad and says, you've got a choice of three. It's, it's the three ways that God judges a people. You've got a choice between war, plague, or famine. That's it. You can flee from your enemies again. We're good with that. It's like the good old days. Or you could have plague or famine. You pick. That was Gad. There's another prophet that David will have in his life that will also be God's instrument of sanctification for David, and that is Nathan. And Nathan appears a lot of the times, majority of the times, when Bathsheba's involved. And so, you see him in 2 Samuel, and then you see him again in 1 Kings. These are the prophets. Samuel, Gad, Nathan. There's a difference here. You need to see the difference here. Look at what David does compared to what Saul has done. Look, yes, David is an inspired author. The, The New Testament calls him a prophet too. But when Gad shows up, knocks on his cave door, and says, this isn't safe anymore. You need to go and you need to move to this forest. David did exactly what the prophet said. He listened to the Word of God and he obeyed. Gad instructs David to not stay put. They're not safe where they are. This is how David was able to escape from Saul the whole time. He kept an ear to the ground and an ear in the air listening to what God had to say and also listening to what was coming just around the corner. This is David's... And so David listens. The advice of the prophet is sound. But it's also, notice, not only is it sound, look at all these people have found you. You don't think he can find you? But also notice the inspired sound wisdom of... Well, not only do you need... Where, where should we go, Gad? I don't know. I just was told we need to leave. No, notice he gives them the, the location where they should go. And that's the moment. This place isn't safe, but that place is. Let's go a little bit further into Judah, and we're going to hide in the forest of Hereth. And so this is that biggest difference there. The biggest difference in many of the people in the Scriptures. Here David shows that not only is he going to take care of his family, take care of the people, but he's also going to take care to hear God's Word when it's spoken to him. And so as we come to a close this morning, consider the following realities of life found in these verses. First, God provides for us whether we realize it or not our own stronghold our own fortress 
And the beautiful thing is Reformed people, RCUS people, people of the Heidelberg Catechism, is we begin with that question. What is our only comfort in life and in death? And if you've ever broken down that word comfort, you find that it doesn't really mean that thing that keeps you warm at night when you're cold. That's a comforter. That's something else. That's what's fighting off the cold. And it's making you strong and warm. It comes from the idea of what is to bring you strength. That's why you see the word fort in it. A fortress. And right at the beginning of our statement of faith, we are saying something about Jesus. He is our fortress. He is our strength. He is our stronghold. God has provided for us, even this day, a place that we can run to and find strength. A place that we can go to and find comfort. A place where the arrows of the enemy cannot hit us. Now, just as David kept one ear to the ground and one ear to the air listening for God and also recognizing, hey, you know, we need, to, we need to go over here to Moab to help this and we need to do this and need to do that. And There's one former army soldier told me one time on a phone call many, many years ago that when you were in a foxhole, yes, you had better pray to God for protection clean shot, but also ask your buddy to pass the ammunition. And that's what's happening here for David. While God has indeed provided for us that fortress, that is Jesus Christ, that is God's sovereignty in our lives, but He has also made us responsible to take action, to turn around and do the right thing, to turn from our sin and to listen to God's word and to do what it says. I, I go ahead and tell you, life would be much easier if we would just listen to God's word and do what it says. Notice David prayed for protection, but he also had a troop with him. He had soldiers with him. And so that takes us to the second thing to see here. God sends us people to take care of. This is a twofold responsibility. God protects us, but He also gives us people to protect, gives us people to take care of, people to provide for. And so first, as parents, we are called as parents to provide for our children, to look after our children. We're called to tend and to keep them. To raise them up in the ways of the Lord so that when they're on that path, they're not going to depart from it. But today, many across this country 
are putting our children in their crosshairs, are wanting to attack our children. And so what must we do? Run for the hills and hide? (laughs) Should we stand our ground? Should we protect what God has given us? Yes. That's the command. At the same time, there's another area of things that we need to realize God puts in our care people to protect us, people to tend us, people to keep us. Now, there's layers to this. And so, we all have someone that is in our life that we can go to. Whether it's our parents, pastors, elders, deacons, spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith, we all have someone that takes care of us. That God has put in our lives uh, maybe to rebuke us. Maybe to correct us. To chasten us. To, to remind us that we know better. To encourage us. And so what ought we to do there? When we hear that message of you should stop that. We ought not make it hard on that person. Especially when it's a biblical stop it. (laughs) Jesus said, go and sin no more. A biblical stop it. Not only have we have people we look after, but there are people that look after us. And so if we don't want our children to act childish, how about we not act childish either when it comes time to hearing that message of repent and sin no more? You see, because thirdly, at the end of the day, God provides. He provides that shelter, that stronghold. He provides those people to look after us and for us to look after them. And He provides His Word. Like Gad for David, we have something here that David did not. David was in the midst of writing some of this. We have it all. We have something better than what David had. We have the completed scriptures. That the Spirit has made fit, not a word is missing. Everything here is for us and for our salvation. And so when we're in trouble and we're in need, when we are in doubt, where do we go? We go to the Word of God. When we don't know what direction we need to take here, where do we go? We go to the Word of God. Because He has provided all that we need for body and soul in life and in death right here for us. We've got it. 
don't need to wait for some prophet to come by and tell us. No, the prophets and the apostles have written down their words so that we can know exactly what we need from our faithful Savior Jesus Christ. He's provided it all. We have it here. This has stood the test of time. Not the vain politics of the day. That'll be forgotten in a year. This, however, is a part of what God has given to us today. May we turn to it. May we seek it above others' wisdom. Not leaning on our own understanding, but turning to the very Word of God. Knowing we have something far better. We have Jesus. We have His Word. He has given to us His great comfort. Amen. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that You continue to provide for us, that You continue to provide all that we need in our Savior Jesus. We turn to Him this morning, recognizing that He is the prophet, priest, and king for our life. We turn to His Word. We turn to His guidance. And we turn to His mercy. May we continue to find in this day the rest that we need in His arms. That we can continue to stand firm as our fortress hangs over us. We can know that there's nothing this world can do to remove us from Your care. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.